Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and my dream secret lair was almost explosion no sounds. Explosion noises? I don't even remember the name. Uh, except it would be all goblin legends. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I could produce any kind of secret lair product, it would be a copy of Sarpedian Empires Volume 7 with the five tokens it makes. The 1-1 one, one White Citizen, oh, the 1-1 one, one Blue Camerid, the 1-1 one, one Black <laughs> Thrall, the 1-1 one, one Red Goblin, and the 1-1 one, one Green Sapperling. All themed to Sarpedia. Because you know what? We don't have a Camerid yet. And we only have one citizen and one thrall. And people love goblins and sapperlings. It's like the perfect, the perfect secret layer product if you want to have a bunch of tokens. That's a really good one. If it weren't so niche, I think they would do it. But yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, I'm Brian Dawes. And if I could have my own secret layer product, to the surprise of no one, it would be full of elves. Whether it be <laughs> elf legends or the various elf-related cards, like from modern or legacy, like you know, I wouldn't mind having a collected company with elves, like with Rist the Redeemed on the art, or a glimpse of nature with um, Rothfellow's on it, or something. That'd be really nice. So, as you can probably guess, the reason we're bringing this up is because Secret Lair was revealed and mostly on sale last week. So, all of these Secret Lairs were pretty cool. Uh, my personal favorite was Explosion Noises, which is a panorama of uh, goblin artwork. I like that most of these artworks were done as panoramas, which is perfect for, like, uh, hanging art and stuff. So they're they're pretty neat. I don't think we really need to go into detail about any of them. I, I like the artwork on all of them, honestly. They're all really good, especially the silly the, the sillier takes on magic art and how it opens up magic to more artists. Yeah, that's like the the number one thing for like what we care about is that um, it's really experimenting with art styles. So we have um, so like Alana, uh, Elena Danner got to do uh, snowscapes in Eldraine for the Snowlands. We've got uh, very cartoonish goblins. We have like more abstract stuff for the scry ones. I think I think one of them is even pixel, pixel art. Uh, we have uh, just some cool experiments with that, and I, and I think that's really cool. I think that's a uh, a nod to the success of both the uh, Hascon promos and the. Uh, the My Little Pony promos and then like the, the storybook frames and, and just, just playing around with art and, and like the SCDC promos, um, S SDCC, I don't know what I said, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, anyway, um, so like the, it's just like art stuff that you would never see in a set that gets to exist in Magic and I think that's awesome. All right. So with that out of the way, let's talk about our feature of the week, the story of the original Theros block, or as I like to call it, Elspeth's tragedy. I like to call it God's End part one and part two, because that's the actual titles of the novellas. Well, and then if you want to get technical, there's also drop by drop. It's drop for drop. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh and um i forget what the name of a johnny's 
epilogue story is called offhand, but we'll link to it with the show notes. Uh, there's also some backstory with Xenagos in one of the Uncharted Realms. So I posted uh, an article at Cool Stuff Inc. called Preparing for Theros, which also links to like all the Theros stories you could want. So... Uh, to set the stage a little bit for this story, we need to mention that we last saw Elspeth before Theros on New Phyrexia, having dedicated herself to the cause of eradicating the Phyrexians. However, as we learn in um, a prologue story, Elspeth ends up having to flee after the Praetors uh, secure their control. Koth essentially forces her to escape while they're on this suicide mission, and she comes to Theros afterwards to to recover. Hashtag Koth watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, Koth, Koth would be a great one to see again. He's one of the few we haven't seen in a long time, but I digress. So we learn a little bit of backstory here about Elspeth, namely that her iconic sword with the two glowing orbs is originally from Theros. She had traveled there as a young girl and encountered Daxos, who had just lost his mother, and in the sky, Heliod was dueling with Perforos over some slight or another. Perforos had forged what comes to be known as God's End, God or God's Send, uh, to remove Heliod from the Pantheon for his prideful ways, essentially. Perforos did nothing wrong. Perforos ends up accidentally cutting... Well, he accidentally cuts Polychronos out of the sky. It happens. Heliod's <laughs> fault. Heliod and Nylea travel to the mortal plane, the, well, the mortal realm of Theros, in order to seal uh, Polychronos back up. The sword is thought to be lost because it fell to the earth, but in truth, Elspeth picked it up and disappeared with it. Elspeth comes back into a situation where there's this other planeswalker, a satyr named Xenagos, who is scheming to ascend to godhood himself. And part of his scheme involves freeing Polychronos. Yeah, so Xenagos's big idea as a planeswalker is that, uh, you know, he's from Theros, a world where the gods assert themselves as omnipotent beings over the denizens of the mortal realm. But what he learned as a planeswalker is that, oh, there's like all these other worlds out there where these quote-unquote omnipotent gods have actually no power and don't exist and people don't even know about them. So they're really just like small and kind of pathetic. So Xenagos does like a whole bunch of research into the magics that make up the metaphysics of Theros and uh, discovers a way to become a god himself. And, and his, his whole idea, the reason he's uh, red and green and is one of the few like really cool green villains in magic, um, is, is he wants to open everybody's eyes to the truth, to the, the truth to the natural way Um the reality of Theros's cosmic relationship between gods and mortals. Uh, if you listen to our um, episode a bunch of weeks ago about the gods of Theros, uh, you know we explained briefly um, they are manifestations of people's beliefs. So while the gods assert that they are lords over the mortals, in fact they are actually dependent existentially on mortal belief. 
and Xenagos wants to reveal that truth to everyone on Theros, and by making a mockery of the whole entire pantheon and system, and it's a thing. Xenagos, as I mentioned, is scheming to free Polukranos, and so this is occupying the gods' attention as it becomes clear that the, the Hydra, known as the World Eater, has escaped. Uh, meanwhile, Elspeth's kind of kicking around in Akros, which is the more militant society, if you remember our discussion on Theros. Uh, it is essentially the Sparta analog. She is has joined a, um, a, a mercenary band, and they get overwhelmed and nearly slaughtered by these crazed satyrs who are chanting King Stranger. Uh, which we later learn is a pseudonym for Xenagos. So her mercenary unit gets disbanded, and then there is this awful omen that Akros believes that they're about to go to war with a bunch of Minotaur, which is technically true. It, that, that pans out. But what that means is they end up expelling all the foreigners from the city, uh, which includes Elspeth. So Elspeth kind of unsure what to do, goes out and uh, prays to Heliod for aid. And Heliod appears to her and gets furious when he sees Godsend, because he was led to believe it was lost beneath Thassa's ocean, uh, Thassa being the god of the sea. So Heliod actually tries to smite her. Elspeth believes this is a test and makes herself invulnerable to his piercing light. And Heliod is just like, uh, okay then, and changes tax, because obviously he he can't kill her. He might as well make use of her. Uh, his, his anger has passed. He converts Godsend to a spear in the image of his own sun spear, which is his iconic weapon, and he commands her to take it to Meletus. So as uh, everyone is being expelled from the city... Elspeth's old mercenary buddy gets her a job on a wagon train guarding a young woman who is an oracle herself, but hasn't committed to any gods yet. They go on a journey that we're not really going to get into here because it's not really relevant to the big overarching story. Uh, when they finally reach Meletus, Polychronos is there and is about to attack the city. <gasps> so Elspeth ends up confronting Polychronos by herself at first. Eventually, Daxos, the boy from her youth, who is now pledged to the god Heliod, um, rides out of the city with soldiers to help her fight off Polychronos. They get killed off mostly one by one uh, until it's essentially just Elspeth and Daxos left. They come up with this plan to kill the Hydra because it keeps regrowing heads by just severing the heads part way so that it can't actually regrow because there isn't a clean cut for it to regrow from. How come no one ever thought of that before? I don't know. <laughs> like, their necks are like eight feet thick. Have they just been slicing through them completely the whole time? No one ever said, hey, let's make a partial cut and let it bleed out? Let it bleed out? Yeah, you would think. Well, I think that's addressed in some in one of like the newer Clash of the Titans movies where Hydra just like rips off the sort of wounded head. But I might be confused about that. Whatever. So anyway, uh, after they succeed, 
a silence is called by Crufix. So Crufix is the god of the horizons. He's known as the Elder God. We, we've we talked about him a little bit in the past. He has some powers that the other gods don't really understand. He, for instance, uh, forced Perforos to forget the knowledge that led him to create Godsend in the first place. He calls a silence, meaning all the gods have to come back to Nyx, because as Polychronos was being killed, all the many of the gods started fighting with one another, Thassa, Heliod, in part because of Godsend, and how it seemed that Heliod was trying to claim it for himself. So the people of Melitus believe Elspeth to be Heliod's champion, although Heliod didn't technically say that to Elspeth. Uh, so Heliod's not really happy about that. But during the months of the silence, she and Daxos grow very close, living in Melitus, training together, and they eventually become lovers. Hot. <laughs> it's probably not hot. So th- that's mostly the story of the first Godsend uh, novel. The second one begins with them in Melitus. Elspeth is Big Spoon. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Um, <clears throat> Whoa, Jay, you have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Look, I've never actually read God's End, so I'm just here for call-outs and drama. <laughs> <laughs> so Xenagos, after Polychronos is defeated, goes to Perforos's, uh temple built into the mountainside of this giant mountain whose name I don't recall at the moment. It's not particularly important. Mount Velus, I think it is. Jim the Mountain. Jim the Mountain. That's probably not correct. (laughs) I I, I don't think it is, no. I think it's Mount Velus. It's meant to be sort of a uh, Mount Olympus allegory. So Heliod, uh, not I'm sorry. Perforos has a forge in the volcanic center, and Xenagos comes to him and claims to be his oracle and ends up stealing his, uh, Perforos's Nyx-born twin. So Perforos was very jealous of the twin gods, Iros and Mogus, and he ends up building a twin for himself in his forge and giving it life. So it's like this magical brass... Uh, I'm sorry, magical bronze uh, construct that looks just like Perforos. Uh, it doesn't, Petro doesn't really have his own self awareness though, so he just kind of follows Xenagos after Perforos gives permission because Perforos is a little confused in the head after what Crufix had done to him. I'm sorry, this is just making me think of the Santa Claus too. Go ahead. <laughs> wow. So Xenagos brings him back to Skola Vale, which is the valley where the satyr live, and he builds a Nyxborn army of Minotaur. So it's a bunch of uh magically god power infused Minotaur who are almost like automatons. He uses that army to attack Akros. So they lead siege to Akros after gaining the support of a tribal leader of Minotaur. Uh, Elspeth and Daxos rush to Akros's aid alongside Anthusa, uh, who is a character we've talked about previously, uh, but who doesn't really factor in hugely into the story. Is she a lesbian? Uh, Z- probably. 
Xenagos Correct. pretends to be an oracle sent to help Akros, having left a bunch of signs which are like decapitated Nyxborn heads, uh, and says he will only talk to Elspeth. So Elspeth goes and sees him in the dungeon, and uh, he lays out a plan to flood out the Minotaur, because the Minotaur have constructed a double-sided fortification for themselves. The reason they did this is because not only do they have to worry about the city itself, the city's true strength is that much of its military force lay out in the mountains and can get called back when the city is under siege. So uh, most invaders have failed because they haven't been able to fight Akros on two fronts, both in front in the city and behind. Uh, so they've constructed this double-sided fortification that also happens to be a perfect uh, channel for water to flow through uh, from the Data River, which is just below the city. They split into two teams. Annex goes out to challenge the Minotaur leader, who I think is called Rordan the Rageblood, and Elspeth is his second, and they're going to do single combat to distract the Minotaur until the floodwaters can get in. Elspeth is the Danny Zuko. Symede and Daxos go, they're both kind of elementalists. They have they have power over, over the elements. They go to channel the river water, which is like 100 feet down this gorge, to flood out the Minotaur, but it's not really working. Uh, so Symede, in exchange for f- saving the city and flooding out the Minotaur, promises herself to her patron god, Keranos, god of storms, uh, who had really wanted her as an oracle, but she had always refused him. Annex ends up getting wounded by the Minotaur, and Elspeth has to take charge. Uh, but just as their battle concludes... The waters finally rage through and and wipe away all the minotaurs. Everyone's happy. Um, There's a huge party afterwards. Xenagos is there and is channeling their the energies of this party. He has power over like emotions. He's a he's a like a sociopathic empath. He has like power over emotions, even though he's basically a sociopath himself. And he gets everyone up into this fierce, fierce uh, revel. Elspeth and Daxos sneak off to uh, a tent to um, take care of business. That means sex. (laughs) And uh, Xenagos basically appears looking to steal Godsend. But the young woman who Elspeth had been uh, traveling with earlier had like moved it or taken it or something. So it wasn't there. Xenagos pushes this like nightmare on Elspeth where she believes herself to be back in new Phyrexia and that she's getting attacked by a Phyrexian negator. And she reaches out and stabs the negator with the first thing she can. And then the illusion falls away and it's Daxos. And she stabbed him like through the throat with a skewer. Um, and she's just kind of left in her her lover's blood, like, oh my god, like, what have I done? The young woman, uh, Xenagos leaves, the young woman comes back, she has the sword, uh, and Xenagos, in the distance, ascends into godhood using the power of the revel. He had wanted uh, godsend, but he didn't need it for his, his plan. Elspeth 
has to go on the run. Uh, the gods all think she just murdered her lover. Heliod thinks she just murdered his favorite oracle, the most powerful oracle on Theros in generations. And she still has Godsend, which is the god-slaying weapon. They all also think she's working with Xenagos, because she was working with Xenagos to protect Akros, but she didn't know what Xenagos was up to. So she goes on the run. Uh, she kind of refuses to leave the plane stubbornly. She's like, you know, I'm not just going to run because there's trouble. A Johnny has arrived on the plane and is friends with the local Leonin population there. Uh, so he goes to King Brimaz and gets some help to go find her uh, and give her aid. So they decide the best way to have Elspeth be able to redeem herself and explain herself is to get into Nyx and kill Xenagos with Godsend. So they make it all the way to the coast, and they meet Kiora, disguised as Caliphae the Mariner. Uh, so Caliphae is kind of this mythic sailor character. Um, Kiora has been on Theros looking for um, Eryxmethes, a gigantic kraken, to... Uh, learn how to summon and bring back to Zendikar to fight the Eldrazi. Um, this is this is during the time, um, what I think it's about two years between their release and their defeat that the Titans are on Zendikar time frame. Anyway, it's, it's in the middle of that. Uh, so uh, Kiora has been prancing around Theros, and uh, to uh, there's a faction of Tritons who believe uh, that she is an avatar of Thassa herself. And Kiora's like, oh, look, if they think I'm their god, then I'm not going to tell them no. Because um, she's seen Ghostbusters. So when she knows that when people <laughs> ask you if you're a god, you say yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she ends up sailing with Ajani and Elspeth uh, to the, near to the edge of the world. Because um, that's where Crufix's temple is. And uh, when, when they get to where Eryxmethes is, uh, Kiora departs and has her own little scuffle with uh, Thassa. Because she awakens Eryxmethes and is like, hey, look, finally, the damn gigantic kraken I've been looking for. And Thassa shows up and is like, hey, you, interloper, you've been going around telling people that you're me, and you are not me. You're a puny mortal, and now you're trying to take my pet, and now I'm going to kill you. And Kiora's like, because she's very bratty, is like, hey, you're a god, and you still suck, and I'm going to kick your ass. And so she summons, like, all these sea monsters, and then Thassa brings, like, all her own sea monsters, and then Eryximethes is just, like, chopping through Krakens and Leviathans like they're, like, minnows. The whole thing is brutal, and it's great. And then, like, so remember that part in the um, Disney animated Little Mermaid at the end when Ursula stirs around with the trident and it makes, like, this this uh, whirlpool that, like, goes all the way to the dry bottom of the ocean floor? Thassa basically does that and uh, throws uh, Dekela, her bident, down um, and it pins Kira's neck to a rock. And it's choking her. And Kira's survivor she's smart she is losing this battle horribly she's not going to get a ricks with these um but she realizes you know um because she's clever and thinks on her feet well and has lots of backup plans uh she's like hey look 
I can't get a Rixman with these, but if I can just get a couple words out, I just need a little time, and then I'm good. So she, like, struggles to talk, and Thassa, uh, who's very arrogant, pulls the Biden back a little bit just so that she can talk. And is mocking Cure, like, oh, does the poor little dying mortal have words to say? And Cure's just like, thanks for the Biden, and then grabs onto the tines and planes <laughs> walks away. Um, so she steals Dekela and then goes off and does Zendikar things. And Thassa is, like, furious. It's a great moment. <laughs> it's literally one of my favorite moments in Magic Story, because it's, it's that entire story. Uh, the story's called Drop for Drop. We'll link to it. It's so good. It's by Kelly Diggs. Um, it, it's like that entire story just is the embodiment of Kiora. So so that is kind of this little thing that happens while um, Ajani and Elspeth go off and finish their quest. Hashtag greatest thief in the multiverse. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> at the edge of the world, Crufix allows them into sort of this in-between chamber that will lead them into Nyx. But before they can enter Nyx proper, one of them has to complete an ordeal for one of the gods. Now Thassa, who is sort of on Elspeth's side at this point, she's been brought around, says, you know, make a deal with me, I'll make it super easy, and you can get in and deal with him. I won't give you anything too difficult. Elspeth, however, is still feeling a lot of grief over what happened to Daxos. So she goes to Erebos, the god of the dead's altar, and makes a deal with him. Her ordeal is she ha- sees these, like, she has these two young children and a husband, and she's living, like, the peaceful life she's always fantasized about, and she has to give it up and accept her fate in life. And that gets her out of this illusion, and she's able to ask Erebos for a boon. So her boon is to trade her life for Daxos's. I'm sure that'll go well. Clearly, they another planeswalker that needs to spend some time with, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Davriel Kane. Yes, because <laughs> not reading the fine print seems to be a huge deal with some of these planeswalkers. Yeah, we need more planeswalkers with JDs. They need to be able to uh, review a contract. So Elspeth gets in and slays Xenagos with the aid of Nylea, who she ends up saving. Uh, Xenagos is kind of sustaining himself by feeding on like Nyxborn creatures and some of the other gods. Uh, so Elspeth saves Nylea and stabs Xenagos through the heart with the spear godsend. And you can see this in the card Deicide. It's one of the first moves to the story spotlights we eventually see. So Theros is like the origin of story spotlights as we know them now. We only got like a handful uh, and a lot of story moments appeared in other artwork. Not strictly on the cards themselves, but it was like the first step. So you can check it out there. But as they go to leave, they get warned that Heliod is coming and he is not happy with Elspeth. So they aren't able to escape before Heliod reaches them, and he demands to have the godsend return to him. So, you know, they can't defeat him here on his home turf. You know, it's not like Xenagos, who was new to his power and just trying to maintain himself in Nyx. Uh, They're both exhausted. They hand it over, 
and Heliod runs Elspeth through the back and stabs her through the chest. And this harsh moment of betrayal, it is, uh, it is hard. It was like, it upset, it upset the fandom back in the day when people found out about this. He's a coward, and he's a traitor, he's a liar, he's a punk. Okay. Okay, hold on. Hold on. But she was going to trade her life for Daxos's anyway. She was going to go Doesn't to the underworld matter. and die. Doesn't matter. Healy didn't do anything wrong. He could have done it. She could have wanted to do it on her own terms. He, um, the godsend the spear shatters after he stabs her. He basically gives this line that, you know, he, he can't have a champion who thinks or who is, you know, beyond his divine ken, essentially, divine, beyond his divine understanding. And so because Elspeth, like, knows of things that are foreign to Heliod and Heliod doesn't understand, uh, you know, he, he can't stand that. So he has to slay her. And also, she just killed a god. Whether or not that god was a usurper, they can't have a he can't have a mortal running around who has killed a god. It it just won't stand. So he betrays and kills her. A Johnny uh, is given her body to take back to Theros so that her soul can go to the underworld, because from Nyx, souls can't go to the underworld. Uh, usually, there aren't any mortals there, so it's not a problem. But you have to be on the mortal realm of Theros. Uh, for you to go to the underworld when you die. They get back just in time. Johnny buries Elspeth, but takes on her cloak, and we see him wear the cloak ever since, and then starts to spread the message of Elspeth's story across the plain about her betrayal at Heliod's hands. And that's kind of where we leave this whole story at this point. Um, Johnny leaves, and eventually we meet up with him again in Kaladesh, where we get a fantastic story called Release, which is about him dealing with his grief over Elspeth's death. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a very sad, poignant moment. One of the most brutal, like far more than Venser, because people were very attached to Elspeth uh, because she had just been in Alara just a short time before. Well, and Scars of Mirrodin. And Scars of Mirrodin, that's right. So this was like her third block appearance in the new Planeswalker system. Whereas Venser was a character who appeared in Time Spiral, but, you know, it was not... He was not nearly as popular when he was offed. Venser is also kind of a dork and a loser. The time frame doesn't match. Like, how is he still young? What's going on? (laughs) Let's, Let's just not get into that, because... Uh, let's just say if I had, if I had reviewed quest for Karn beforehand, uh, I would have had notes to share. I think if you had reviewed quest for Karn beforehand, you probably would have just like been found washed up on a Baltimore shore (laughs) after (laughs) having been like decaying in the Chesapeake for a couple days. Whoa. Whoa. Let's let, let simmer down. Well, what I'll say about that, and this has uh, a, a little bit to do with the our, our next week's topic, is that I have learned since that there are more factors that go into the final product than simple uh, 
creative desire to make a good story. That's all I'm really going to say about that. Very complicated. Yes. But Theros. Yeah, um, it's a good story as, as, as the way it fits a Greek tragedy, right? So we get, like, the hero story, we get a tragic ending, like, there, there's a, you know, we, we have a Hydra fight, you have to have a Hydra fight if you're doing a Greek mythology story, and it's, like, your IP's only chance to do Greek mythology, it's just, like, what you do. And it hits all those things, while also still being very uniquely magic, I think Theros, um, of all the top-down planes, Theros does such a good job of being very much inspired by and identifiable as the tropes of the thing it's, um, mirroring in this case greek mythology while also still really embodying itself with magic's world building and ips and stuff and do in doing that in really creative ways it's easily one of my favorite planes just from a pure like what is the quirk of this plane perspective easily like the the whole metaphysics of nyx is just so cool and I'm very excited for all of you to experience Beyond Death. Me too. I wrote for the set, so I know a lot about it. We will talk more metaphysics when the set is out and the new story is out. So ready. I need this. This is what I live for. The metaphysics. I need it. So let's move on to final thoughts. For me, my final thought is... I really want to finish the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order before I accidentally spoil myself on the ending, because that has almost happened a couple times, where I'll be, like, scrolling through Twitter and someone will have mentioned something about it, and I'll be like, nope, 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 keep rowing, keep going. So, that's where I'm at right now. My final thought is I very recently started dating somebody new, so that's very nice. Uh, her name is Alexandra. She lives in England, and I love her a lot. She is uh, my third partner. Uh, I have a local partner, Izzy, and a partner in Stockholm, Sweden, Kate. And they're all very wonderful, and I'm very gay, and it's just nice. I have a lot of nice people in my life, and sometimes I need to remember that more often than i i do and uh it's just a nice little thought to end this episode and my final thought is that all the gods on theros and how xenogod ascended to godhood um makes me wonder how did yawgmoth go from this human physician to a a whirling death cloud who essentially killed millions on dominaria like even with time and a lot of artifice the the transformation is really boggles my mind and i really want to know more but probably never getting that answer but it, it's super intriguing to me and it just makes me wonder if maybe the plane that dwyfed took him to had some kind of uh theros like ascension property but never know it's but it's one of those things where it just came to mind when i was thinking about how xenagos ascended to godhood and how yawgmoth could have gone from a human to the the final battle on dominaria now that you mentioned that brian i think you're onto something because new for i'm sorry old phyrexia's ninth sphere 
was essentially a control center for the plane that had a very Nyx-like effect on Yawgmoth the longer he dwelled inside of it. Uh, so that's that's a pretty cool thought, actually, that, you know, godhood in, in s- several respects has that kind of element where there's just this sort of divine place where you get power over the levers uh, metaphysics of a plane and ascend to godhood. It's a neat thought. So if you also want the opportunity to ascend to godhood, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and help supporters today. Everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses from around the world are very excited to talk about Theros things. So many of us, by the way, are playing Pokemon Sword and Shield. It has been great. There's been lots of trades and max raid battle uh, team-ups. It's, it's, it's been fantastic. The new, the new Pokemon games are really, really good. I really need to participate in that. You really do, Brian. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> um, so everyone who joins gets on our Discord, and uh, that's a whole lot of fun. We also have two more tiers. So our, our second tier, you get access to a monthly episode called Pull from the Deep which is like a short 10-ish minute episode that we record on some kind of topic that's like a little passion project for one of us. That You know, it's something that wouldn't appear in a regular episode. Uh, and, and those, you get to know us a little better and hear about some of the things relating to magic that we care about personally. And um, then at our highest tier, you can be a live listener and be able to... Uh, hang out with us while we record our podcast episodes we usually record on thursday nights around 7 7 30 eastern time so if uh that is a time when you would like to listen to our podcast you can sign up for that tier uh hang out with us before and after the show uh sometimes chat with us during the show depending how things are going uh get access to episodes a couple days early because you don't have to wait till we edit them and release them and just, in general, get to hear all the goofy bloopers that don't make it into Final Cuts. Uh, there's, there's lots of laughs that are had when we screw up, and it's, it's, it's a good time. Mostly at my expense. It is, it is mostly <laughs> at Jay's expense. That is correct. It's great. To be fair, half the times it's at your expense, it's because of your son Arjun. So, I guess, I guess true. bonus of being a live listener is getting to hear Arjun come in and be and ask about Nido King. <laughs> be a babe. I'm gonna say baby. What is he like four? Uh, this week, yeah, actually. Nice. Okay, so get basically a baby. Human beings are babies until they're 25, right? 25 ish sounds about right. Mostly, I mean, some people stay babies longer. I'm still a baby. um uh so uh you know thank you to everyone who supports us on patreon already and uh anyone uh who supports us in the future uh preemptive thank yous to you too thank you all for listening this has been the vorthos cast